All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eaglebrook Church. It's really good to have you with us today at all of our campuses around the Twin Cities and also those of you who intend online as well. We are in the third week of a series called Imperfect Together because nobody has the perfect family. Nobody has the perfect mom or dad. Nobody has the perfect brother or sister, kids or spouse. But the best families are built on a promise. It's the promise to never leave. It's a promise that no matter what happens, we are in this together. Today's message is titled, Watch Your Words, because the words you speak and the tone that you use will make or break your relationships. Let me say that again. The tone that you use and the words that you speak are going to make or break your relationships. My wife and I have been married for 17 years, and I can say we are at the best place that our marriage has ever been. Nobody on earth that I love more than my wife. But as you can imagine, over 17 years, we've had a few arguments with each other. What's interesting is I thought back on it, I can't remember what most of them were about. But I do remember where some of them were. We got in a really big argument at the Coon Rapids Dam. We're driving along, pulled over in the parking lot. Another time, we were at a nature center off of Lexington Avenue. Apparently, nature makes us very angry, right? It's just, you know, it just does something to us. But I can't remember what the fights were about, but at the time, I remember thinking it felt like the end of the world. And then just a few months ago, we had a day, or I did, where I was working a long time. We had a board meeting that night, and so I was gone for a long day. And I was just stressed out. I had a bunch of things on my to-do list that I was overwhelmed by. And the day before, we had gotten new sod laid at our house. So I pulled into our driveway, and I looked, and somebody had driven on the sod, and not just like on the side of the sod, it was like two feet over, full on tire tread, all the way up to the garage. Now my son gets dropped off after basketball practice by a friend, and so I went in the house and I said to Sarah, my wife, I said, did you or Lance drive on our sod? And I thought about this afterwards, but if it had been Lance, I'm not sure I would have been all that angry. I think I would have made fun of him, but I don't think I would have been that mad. But when my wife told me, oh, sorry about that, I'm like, and you just left it there? Like someone needs to go out and try to smooth that whole thing down like I don't have enough to do. I was hot. The very next night, my wife was volunteering at our student ministries at the Lionel Lakes campus. And before she left, I was sitting on the couch. And so she goes, hey, all the kids need to have lunches packed when I get home. I'll leave some chicken nuggets here on the counter. I said, have a great night. A few hours later, she got home after spending time with a bunch of middle school students jacked up on Red Bull and hormones, and there was no lunches packed, and the chicken nuggets were still sitting on the counter, and I was still sitting on the couch, and she's like, I gave you one thing to do, and you couldn't even do that, and she was hot, and by hot, I mean she was very angry with me <laughs> at that moment. After two days of kind of bickering and being a little bit irritable with one another, I wrote the next day in my journal. And I said, what's causing our conflict is not the issues. It's how we're talking about those issues. In other words, the problem wasn't the sod. You can, you can smooth that out again. The problem wasn't the lunches. The problem was how we were speaking to one another. We were stressed out, and that stress was causing us to speak with words 
that was creating our conflict. That's why five years from now, I'm not going to remember what we were fighting about. I won't be remembering chicken nuggets or lunches or sod, but unless we learn to manage our words, we'll still be having conflict about something. That's why I said that the words that you speak and the tone that you use is going to make or break your relationships. You see, God created us as verbal beings, but just like food, sex, and money, if words are allowed to run rampant with no restraint, if there's no boundaries, or if words are used in abusive ways, then they can become deadly. Look at what Solomon, the author of Proverbs, says about this. He says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Don't raise any hands, but how many of of us this week spoke a reckless word? I mean, the moment it came out of your mouth, you're like, no, words come back. Go back into my mouth, but there was nothing you could do. And you hurt someone that you love. How many of us have been on the receiving end of a reckless word recently? Isn't it amazing how one word like fat or ugly or a phrase like, I don't want to be married to you anymore. I don't want to see you anymore. I don't love you anymore. A statement like, you didn't make the team. You got let go. Or we don't like you. We've all been talking about it. None of us like you. It's amazing how one word or one phrase can cut deeper than any sword ever could. So here's my question. Why is it that all of us still use reckless words? We know that they hurt people. We know that they cut people. We know because we've been on the receiving end ourselves. But it's like we can't seem to help ourselves. Maybe this illustration can bring this to light. I saw this several years ago from Pastor Andy Stanley, and it illustrates well the struggle that we have with reckless words. So this is Mr. and Mrs. Mug. And Mr. and Mrs. Mug, they met shortly after college, and I'm telling you, it was love at first sight. I mean, Mr. Mug was like, is your last name Campbell's? Because you were looking, mm-mm, good. It was like, oh. Thank you, Lord. He was just, I mean, she was a med student and she's very attractive, as you can tell. And so he was like, this is the love of my life. Now, while they were dating, Mr. Mug was on his best behavior. No reckless words, no hurtful comments. But then they got married and they had a baby. And baby Mug wasn't sleeping all that well. And so Mrs. Mug was tired, she was stressed out, she had to get up in the middle of the night, and oftentimes when the baby was crying, Mr. Mug would pretend he was sleeping. And that really didn't go so well with Mrs. Mug. And then for her birthday, Mr. Mug got her exercise lessons. (laughs) Mrs. Mug wasn't quite sure what to make out of that. That kind of rubbed her the wrong way, and they bumped a little bit. And some stuff ended up coming out. And Mr. Mug looked at her and he said, whoa, where did that come from? And he got kind of angry and defensive and they bumped again. And some more stuff came out. And Mrs. Mug said, I didn't know you had such anger issues. 
And so Mrs. Mug went to go see her sister. <laughs> and she said to her sister, she said, I, I've never seen this in him before. Where did this come from? He's changed. And Mr. Mug, he went to go see, we don't really know where guys go. We don't know. <laughs> we don't really go see anybody. He, he kind of just sat there thinking to himself, you know. And the more he thought about this, the more he thought, you know, the problem is that Mrs. Mug just keeps bumping me. And if she would stop bumping me, then that stuff wouldn't come out. And Mrs. Mug, she thinks that the problem is that Mr. Mug keeps bumping her. And if he wouldn't do those things and say those things, well, then that wouldn't come out of her either. But here's the reality. The reason why the blue beads come out of Mr. Mug and the reason why the pink beads come out of Mrs. Mug is because that's what's in there. It's pretty profound stuff, I know. But here's my point. Every reckless word that you speak is a reflection of what's in your heart. Look at what Jesus says about this. He says, but the words that you speak, they come from the heart. Jesus says, don't just watch your words. You don't just watch your mouth. You need to watch your heart because the words that you speak are a manifestation of what's in your heart. Kind of reminds me of an iceberg. I studied icebergs a little bit this week and found that nine-tenths of an iceberg is beneath the surface. It's because ice has nine-tenths the density that water does, and so 10% is above the surface, and of course, that's where we get the phrase tip of the iceberg. Now, it strikes me that in any relationship that you're in, Whatever conflict you're having could be over a project at work, could be with your roommate or your brother or your in-laws. The issue that you're having conflict over is the tip of the iceberg. That the real problem is found beneath the surface. The real problem is in our hearts. And when our words begin to speak what's really in our heart. You see, it's our words that are a manifestation of what's in our heart, and it's the words you speak and the tone that you use that's going to make or break your relationships. Jesus says it another way in Luke 6.45. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. I love this word, stored, because it's not like something bad happened in his life, and all of a sudden he's going, hey, I need to find something good here. Maybe I should go to church. Maybe I should read my Bible. Now, he's been storing this up for years. He's ready for this moment when it's going to come out. It says the good man brings good out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And then Jesus says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. It really is that simple. We speak angry words because there's anger in our heart. We speak anxious words because there's anxiety in our heart. By the way, it's easy to confuse those two. Sometimes you'll see someone and they appear very angry. But the real issue is they're anxious. They feel out of control. They're stressed out. They have no margin. And it's coming out from their heart. 
We speak bitter words because there's bitterness in our heart. And we speak reckless words because we lack self-control. And it's those reckless words that Solomon says, pierce like a sword. But look at what he says in the second half. He says, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Means that while a carelessly chosen word can hurt a marriage, it can end a friendship and deaden a dream, a carefully chosen word can heal a marriage, restore a friendship, bring a dream back to life. Let me ask you, how's your words these days? If you took inventory in two relationships in your life, what would you say is your words like with that other person? I'm always talking to my kids about this. I'm like, you guys, you got to build each other up. Everybody else in the world is going to try to tear you down. And as a family, we, we can't be doing that. We got to build each other up. I'll say this to coworkers. I'll say, you know what? I think you were right. I think your opinion was the correct one. But I just have to tell you that the tone that you spoke in left that other person walking out of your office feeling demoralized, demotivated, and questioning if they even want to work in this place. You were right, but it was your tone. I'm telling you, the words you speak and the tone that you use, it's going to make or break every relationship. So you got to watch your words. Let me give you three ways that you can do that. The first way to watch your words is this. You have to manage the ratio of life-giving words to toxic words. So just think through those two relationships in your life. What would you say is the ratio of life-giving words to toxic words? Because every relationship is going to rise and fall based on its ratio of toxic words to life-giving words. If you have a relationship in your life right now that there's some conflict, my guess is it's because one or both of you is using more toxic, negative, critical words than you are life-giving, encouraging, and complimenting words. How's your ratio these days? With your son, with your daughter, with your coworkers and your classmates, how's your ratio. A few months ago, I wrote my oldest son, who's 13 years old, a note. And it was about habits. He's 13. He's going to be out of our house, going to college, you know, potentially in five years. And so I thought, here's some habits that I want you to build into your life. And I don't know why I wrote him a note about habits, because I talk to him about habits all the time. He's our oldest son. And so unfortunately, he probably has parents that put too much pressure on him. Before we had kids, we read several birth order books. And all of them said, boy, you've just put too much pressure on your firstborn. And so my wife and I are like, not going to do that. And then it just happens. You don't know what you're doing. You're anxious. You're just trying things out as you go. And it just ends up happening that way. So he's good at a lot of things. But my wife and I are like a little bit in our heart like, I think you could have done that better. Meanwhile, the rest of our kids are eating Doritos and watching PG-13 movies. And we're like, you know, I think they're fine. I'm not worried about them at all. And so I wrote him this note about habits. And it was all good stuff. It was like, spend time with God every day. 
And I would say that to you as well, that reading the Bible and filling your heart with God's wisdom and praying to God and having a relationship with him, it's a foundation of life. It's what's gonna give you hope and peace when you're going through a difficult time. And then I said, you know, you need to work before play. So get your homework done before you play video games. Eat your vegetables before you have dessert. There's a certain principle of self-discipline that successful people seem to have. But I never gave him the note. I never gave him the note because on the morning I was going to give it to him, I was praying, and I just had this sense from God. And when I say sense from God, here's what I mean by that. I had a thought. And the more time I've spent with God over my life, I've come to recognize when a thought is from God. And so I just sensed that God was saying three words to me. And the three words were, just enjoy him. Just enjoy him. You have five years of getting to see him before bed and and tucking him in or praying for him. You have five years where you can just sit on the couch and watch a game or laugh together. It's okay if he doesn't eat good habits for breakfast. It's okay if he hasn't figured out fully how to do laundry yet. He'll, He'll figure that out at some point. But what he needs more than anything else is to know that his mom and dad love him and that they enjoy him. And so since that time, I've been trying to shift the ratio a little bit. I still talk about habits because I think that's important. But I've tried to shift the ratio a little bit from, you need to do this, you didn't do this, why didn't you do this, you gotta work hard at this. And I've tried to add a lot more, you're doing great at this. Here's where I see that you're strong. Here's how God's wired you. Here's his purposes for your life. And of course, he's 13. So a couple nights ago, he's like, stop encouraging me. See what you're doing. You're just trying to do this. So he sees right through the whole thing. It's great. (laughs) But is there a relationship in your life that that you need to just shift the ratio on a little bit? Maybe it's with your spouse. Every time you talk to one another, it's easy. It's like, well, who are you going to get the kids to practice? And well, I got a work meeting and I can't do it. I can't go pick them up. You got to go do this. And it's always about the schedule. Or maybe for you, it's just these critical comments. How come you didn't do this? And I told you to do this, and this isn't the way I wanted it. You gotta shift that ratio a little bit. You gotta get a babysitter and and just go out and speak some words of encouragement and words of life to one another. Maybe it's with your brother or sister. And you're used to just kind of making fun of one another all the time, but maybe your brother or sister is dealing with something right now. And they need you to give them some words that will lift them up and encourage them. I am telling you, every relationship, it rises and falls based upon your ratio of toxic words to life-giving words. Here's the second way that you can watch your words. It's this. You have to take responsibility for your words. Yeah, yeah, but, but you don't know what they did to me. No, but you're responsible for your words. Yeah, but when they say that, no, no, you are responsible for your words. This past summer, our family moved into a new neighborhood, and it bumps up against a nature preserve a little bit, and so there's some woods in our backyard. And on the second weekend of deer hunting opener, my wife and I were standing in the front of our house looking out the window, 
And all of a sudden, my wife goes, oh my goodness, look at that deer over there. And we looked across the street, and there was this beautiful buck standing in our neighbor's backyard. And I'm not a hunter, but I think it was like an eight-point buck or something like that. And it was standing right next to two doe. And they were kind of running together. They must have gotten stirred up by some hunters, you know, over in another field. And all of a sudden, this buck takes off. And he runs across the street, right along the side of our house into our backyard. And these two does are running right with him. And so Sarah and I ran into the living room and we yelled to our kids. We're like, you guys, there's three deer. They're running right through our backyard. And so all of our kids went running over to the window and they're like, oh, and all of a sudden, boom. (laughs) And I looked and about a hundred yards from my house, was a hunter in full blaze orange, and he was just blasting away at these deer. My kids are like, ah. I'm like, into the other room, kids. Bambi moment, you know, in the backyard. So I went downstairs, and I was trying to yell to this hunter. I'm like, you're shooting into my backyard. But he was just, I mean, he was just going everywhere. Couldn't hear me. So my wife called the police. And about 10 minutes later, the police came and the hunters had moved. They were further away at this time. And so I explained to the police officer what had happened. And you could tell he was a hunter because he got really philosophical with me. He said, well, we are a hunter-gatherer species. I said, okay, well, you can go gather at Cub Foods if you want to. I mean... You can go gather in the field over there if you want to, but you can't gather in my backyard. And so I explained to him, I said, it's the house, it's the deer, it's the hunter. Like, what if my kids are in the backyard? What if he hits my house? And the police officer looked at me and he said, well, hunters know that they are responsible for their projectile. I said, well, that's reassuring. (laughs) I said, when I'm in my coffin, I'll rest easy knowing that at least he knows what he just did to me in that moment. Now, just in case you're curious, I don't think they shot the deer. I think all three deer got away. And as far as I know, Bob Merritt was not involved. (laughs) Not entirely sure about that, but as far as I know, I don't think he was involved. Now, here's my point. A lot of us are like that with our words. We just shoot first and think later. So somebody is critical of us. Somebody says something that, that we get dings us a bit. And we get defensive. And it's just boom. Or someone slights us in some way. And we feel a little disrespected by their comment. And so it's just buckshot. I mean, I'm just going to tell everybody who will listen and kind of pull them down a little bit. We get stressed out. And when we get a little stressed out, it's just unload on people. If a hunter is responsible for his projectile, then guess what? We are responsible for our projectile as well. Look at what Solomon says again in Proverbs 17. He has so much to say about our words. He says, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever is wise is even-tempered. I love this word, restraint. 
Does that describe your words these days? In your relationships, would you say that you're characterized by having some restraint? Because look at what he says next. He says, whoever is wise is even-tempered. Some people just emote. I mean, they get stressed, they get angry, they get irritable, and they're just everywhere. And guess what? Everyone around you is going like this. Look out for dad. Look out for mom. Look out for so-and-so who works over in this department. I, I, I don't think it's a good day to go into their office. I, I don't think it's a good time to go ask them for something because, you know, look out. Do you want people to feel that way around you? Or do you want to make a change in your life? And say, I want to become a wise, even-tempered person. Now, let me show you the verse from the Bible that has helped me more than any other verse with this issue. I mean, because I struggle with this just as much as anyone. And this is the verse that's helped me how to do it. Everything else we've been talking about is, well, don't do it. This, is, this helps you to know how. Here, here's the verse from Proverbs 15. He says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Maybe this illustration will help you a little bit, but this graph represents the energy level in a conversation. So you've got a zero, which is just, we're calm, we're just talking to one another, all the way up to a 10, which is we are screaming, we are at each other's throats. Now, hypothetically speaking, let's just say that you accidentally deleted your wife's Hallmark Christmas movie before she was done watching it. Okay, we'll just make something up. And, <laughs> and let's say that she comes back at you with a little bit of energy. She says, hey, I wasn't done watching that yet. You always do that. And because of her tone, we're, we're up at about a three or a four. But here's what you need to understand. At that point, you're in control. You get to choose. You get to choose. Am I going to give a gentle answer or am I going to give a harsh word and stir it up a little bit? So you can say, oh, you know what? I am so sorry that I did that. I, I, I really will try not to do that again. And you're right back down here to about a zero. Or you can say, well, how am I supposed to know you're not done watching it? You never delete them when you're done watching them anyway, so it just eats up all the recording space. Depending on your tone, now you're up at about a five or a six. And at that point, she's in control. She can either say, you know, I, you're right, I'm sorry, I'll try to get better at that, but please just ask me next time before you delete them. Or she can say, well, I'm going to uh, erase one of your sporting events next time, and we'll see how you like it. Well, now you done crossed the line. <laughs> I mean, now it's on like Donkey Kong. We're going to have a conversation about each other's family of origins at this point, <laughs> and we're up at about a nine or a 10. Why? Because one or both people refuse to give a gentle answer. See, you can walk into your kid's bedroom and you can go, you left your sweatshirt on the floor again. How many times have I told you not to do that? I told you a hundred times to put your stuff away, clean up your room, do it right now. You can do that if you want. 
but you're going to stir. And they're going to look back at you and they're going to go, well, what do you care? It's my room. Get out of my room. I don't want to talk to you right now anyway. You stir it up a little bit. Or you can walk into that room and go, you know, I have asked you to put away your sweatshirt and not just throw your clothes on the ground. You're going to have to get a consequence. You have a chore. What do you mean I have a chore? It's my room. Get out of my room. Well, you have a chore if you live in the house. I'm sorry. And then you just walk away. It's a gentle answer. And later you swing back around and you explain, Here, here's why this is important to us. You know, in, in, in your workplace, someone starts coming at you in a meeting and they're getting kind of amped up and they're getting kind of angry and it's just, you know, right with each other. You can give a gentle answer and you can just watch the room go. Or you can give a harsh word and you can just stir it up. This is true for online I mean, I've been at this church for 12 years, and in that period of time, I've gotten very few emails or voicemails like this, but I got a voicemail one time and an email one time where I just laughed. I almost thought, what were you thinking when you hit send? Like, did you just think, I can be as angry, rude, judgmental as I want to be, and God's not gonna hold me accountable for that? Because I'm right, and you need to hear this. You need to know the truth. But it was the tone. So many people, send an email to that coach. Send an email to that parent. Send an email to that teacher or that boss or that person. But it's your tone. You can give a gentle answer or you can give a harsh one. These days, if I get an email like that, I try very kindly just to say, hey, I'm so sorry you felt that way. I did, it wasn't my intention at all. I'm, I'm sorry that you interpreted that way. But, but, you know, thanks for letting me know. You just leave it at that. Because guess what? I'm responsible for my words. I don't get to say, well, they said this. No, no, I'm responsible before God for the words that I speak. Got to take responsibility. Here's the third way to watch your words. It's this. You have to recognize that words bring life or death. So Proverbs, again, he says the tongue has the power of life and death. That there is life and death power contained in this one little muscle in your mouth. It's your tongue. A simple, I love you, that brings life. What's wrong with you? That brings death. I'm proud of you. Brings life. <laughs> Classic. I knew you were going to do that because you always do stuff like that. that that's going to bring death. Several years ago, I heard a story of singer-songwriter Stephen Curtis Chapman. And he and his wife adopted this little five-year-old girl named Maria Sue. And they described her as their laughter. They had other kids, but they just described her as their joy of the family. And then one day, Stephen Curtis Chapman was in his office at home, and Maria Sue was in the backyard playing on the playground. And Stephen Curtis Chapman's 17-year-old son, Will Franklin, pulled up the driveway in their black SUV. And when Maria Sue saw that her brother was home, she jumped off the playground. She went running to see him, and he didn't see her. And so he ran into this little girl. She was airlifted to the hospital. And she later died. 
And I want to ask you, if you were a father, what would you say to your 17-year-old son in that moment? Some of us might say, I told you. How many times have I told you to pay attention, to drive more carefully? Look what you just did. You might have just killed your sister. You, you, you happy with yourself? It's your fault. Might have looked at his son and just glared at him and said, I will deal with you later. I want to read to you what Stephen Curtis Chapman said on Larry King Live. This was a national story. He said this. He said, I had hugged Will before I left for the hospital. But as I was driving away in a hospital van, I saw him crumbled up in a ball on the ground. His brother was on top of him, holding him up and praying for him. I yelled to the ambulance driver, stop. I rolled the window down and I yelled, Will Franklin, your father loves you. Your words have the power to bring life or to bring death. In your marriage, you can bring life or you can bring death. Some of us might wonder, how, how did he, how was he able to say those words at a stressful moment like that? And the answer is, it's just what was in him. It was the good that he had stored up for just a moment like this. Can you imagine if he had spoken a harsh word to his son? The death that that would have brought into his spirit. But he spoke a word of life at just the right time. And there are some of us here today, you need to speak a life, a word of life in your marriage. I was with a couple, a few couples recently, and, and the wife said, you know, I, I feel the love of God the most through my husband. So there are days when I just don't feel like I can give him my best. And it's like he wakes up and he goes, how can I make her happy today? You think they got in the car afterwards and got in a fight about schedules or who's doing more chores? It's because through your words, you can bring life to your marriage right now. You can bring life to your son. Not another sarcastic comment like, oh, you, you finally got it out of the infield. In that way to go. But he needs to know you believe in him. You're behind him and you're for him. And you see what he's good at. Your daughter needs to know that. Your parents need to know that. Instead of another eye roll, another whatever, another, you know, just leave me alone. I love you. Thank you, you're the best ever. Your words, the words that you speak and the tone that you use will make or break your relationships. So you gotta watch your words. Let's stand together and pray at all of our campuses and let's ask God to do that in our life. If there's some of us here who need a change, let's just pray that God's spirit would do that right now. God, I pray for anyone here today who spoke a reckless word. 
and we feel so much guilt and so much shame. God, I pray for your forgiveness and I pray for your healing in that relationship. And God, I pray for someone here today who's hurting as a result of a reckless word that was spoken to them. God, comfort them, heal their heart. Allow them to see the ways that you've gifted them and who they are in Jesus Christ. And God, for all of us, if there's a relationship in our life that's just not going so well, Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to to switch that ratio a little bit and to bring some life with our words. And God, would you change our heart because some of us have anger in our heart. Some of us have anxiety or bitterness in our heart. And God, we need you by your spirit to change us from the inside out. God, I pray you would do that right now. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great weekend, everybody.